a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I trust you have uh, come prepared to take away something of value. Well, I feel better prepared today than I do most days. I have uh, Dr. John C. Pulver joining me. Uh, John, you're you're going to be a familiar voice to some of my listeners, but for those who are catching up to you for the first time, take just a second to just explain who you are and, and why you're hanging out with me today. I am a person of interest in so many different arenas of life. I've had a number of different careers. Most all of them have featured helping other people or spreading light and insight in some kind of way, either personally or or through writings. I've written some things. I have some websites right now. Uh, climbingupward.com, which is dedicated to helping individuals rise to their greatest potential. And so that's what we're all about with that. But I also am very fascinated with the principles that free up people in order that they might not only be their best self, but also be free from oppression by institutions, countries, governments, etc. So hopefully today we can talk a little bit about what are the things that allow us to flourish? Okay. And we're actually going to talk about, so I don't think this could be a more timely subject. We're going to be talking about order. Now I'm going to, I'm going to kind of put this into perspective here. If, if a person has been paying close attention to the news for the last little bit, they may have a sense that there's uh, there's a growing disorder in the world. But uh, John, as, as we're going to discuss today, there are a couple of different types of order. Maybe we should start there and then we can unpack each one of them. So when we talk about order, there's not just one specific type that we're talking about, is there? No, that is very true. We have the fact that we as individuals must come up with a predictable set of ways in which we act. And that, in a sense, is creating order within our very being. We can be an ordered individual or we can be a disordered individual. And also, these these individuals that we all are interact with one another in a societal way or in society or in a given place. And there's a need for us to interact in an orderly way, in a predictable way, one with another, so that we are able to operate together successfully. So we have this business of of the uh, inner order within ourselves, and then there's an outer order that we need to establish successfully in our interactions with other people and in the society at large. So let's let's start with that inner order. And maybe a good place to start here would be when a person is lacking that sense of order over themselves. What does that look like? What are, what are some of the telltale symptoms? Well, I like a really quote, interesting quote by Pythagoras, which says that no man is free who cannot control himself, unquote. 
So one of the things that that we're all looking for, and, and this is important as we talk about families, which we have done in the past, but we need to be able to know what we can count on with ourselves. We need to be so uh, committed to certain value systems or principles that guide the way that we interact and the, the choices that we make that we that we don't morph into a chaotic state where we don't we never know what we can count on with ourselves and no one else around us could know <laughs> what we're going to be like from one moment to the next either you know in in my book growing beyond your family of origin experience we talk about those styles of families where some families are so chaotic that there's just no no order in them at all but that's the interaction piece but but, but uh the other thing that's interesting is that uh, a disordered existence as was kind of pointed out in a book called the roots of american order by russell kirk which i would recommend to 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 our listeners uh, a disordered existence is a confused and miserable existence because of some of the things that I've just mentioned that uh, we we just absolutely don't have a sense of what it is that we can count on from one moment to the next. Imagine if we did this with the way that we drive our cars. If we had no <laughs> if we had no red lights or green lights or anything else, we would have this complete sense of disorder. And so the it's interesting, John Stuart Mill gave an interesting quote on this where he said, uh, I have learned to seek happiness by limiting my desires rather than be trying to satisfy them. So there's this limitation, there's this box of discipline we put on ourselves inside of ourselves that allows us to operate with uh with peace within ourselves but also the the idea is that that other people can count on us to be a pleasant interaction with them and society can count on us doing things that build the interaction between people rather than destroy it interesting you know i i had this experience over the weekend i i was uh traveling, went to a little town called Montpelier, Idaho. And yes, I know about Montpelier, Idaho. I had an uncle and aunt okay. who lived there, and I had a, that uncle was the mayor. So, you know, it's quite a metropolis. Okay, now it's a very small little community, but um, we were on a quest to try to find an ice cream maker and went to this, uh, I don't know what to call it. it was, it's, a, it's like a Goodwill store. It's, it's a thrift store, right. but people donate what they want. John, I walked in the door there, and... I almost went into a state of panic because there was so much disorder. I mean, I, I've never been in a true hoarder's house, but I imagine that's how it would feel. And, and it surprised me that it affected me the way that it did. I couldn't wait to get out of there because it just seemed like it, it was like a bomb went off in somebody's <laughs> rummage sale. And I felt really uncomfortable. And I'm not a, I'm not a neat freak by any stretch, but there was so much disorder that uh, I, I just, Man, I wanted to get out of there now. I I think that what happens is, you know, as we operate, as we move around in life, in our perceptions, we're trying to figure out what can be the expected thing that we're going to run into. How do we act in a given situation? How do we 
how do we find things that we want in the case of that thing being an exploded rummage sale how do we find how do we connect how, how do we how do we operate from one thing to another and, and when the, when things are scattered chaotic we can't connect with things in a way that's meaningful for us we we look for the things that that we're trying to to experience and we can't find them in that situation and I don't know how that applies to other things, but that I'm just kind of reflecting on that experience where you walk in and uh, you were looking for the ice cream. Yeah, just you know, we, we were trying to find the ice cream an maker, ice cream maker, the ice cream maker. And and the thing that's interesting is that that in a normal retail situation, and I grew up in a retail situation because my father was in retail for 47 years. There's order in retail. There's sections where certain things can be found. Yep. And and that's part of the of the beauty of, of putting things in order is that now you can have your needs met because you know that you can expect something that you need to be orderly placed in a specific spot and you did not have that experience at all when you were in that that little exploded rummage sale situation. Yeah, and, and and I want you to understand my my first instinct wasn't so much to judge the people what a you know what a terrible store my first instinct was to think, okay, what's going on in my head that this bothers me as bad as it does? Because I'm assuming if something is bugging me, it's probably because there's something in, in my own life or my own heart or my own head that, uh, that may be out of order. Now, I'm not asking you to analyze me, but am I, <laughs> is there anything yeah, it, to that? It, it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if this is an appropriate quote in here, but I was just looking at some of my quotes on, on order. And Richard Hooker, who was who wrote in the 1700s, said the following. He said, without order, there is no living in public society because the want thereof of order is the mother of confusion. So I don't know. It's, it's just really interesting. Our need... Uh, the way I think of it is uh, from psychological training is we need to know what we can count on. We need to know what we, where we can place uh, our actions. We need to know what kind of, we need to know that the law of the harvest works. We need to know that things are there. Okay, we've got, to, we've got to hit a real quick break here. John Pulver is my guest. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about uh, finding that sweet spot between just enough and too much order. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. We are with uh, Dr. John C. Pulver with uh, ClimbingUpward.com. He is, uh, he's a regular guest on the show. And John, I'm really glad to have you today as we're talking about order. And uh, before we go too far into to finding the right balance of order in our own lives, you know, whether it's outside or inside or spontaneous or, uh, or forced, talk to me about how um, lack of order has been exploited historically to bring authoritarianism, totalitarianism. You had a really great quote you wanted to share with us. Yeah, there's an interesting story from a, a, about a Russian scholar who came to understand uh, how order is related to freedom. 
uh, and actually the carrying out of justice. And this man had had, had been a, a Menshevik or a moderate socialist at the time of the Russian, Russian Revolution. When the Bolsheviks seized power in St. Petersburg, this man fled to Odessa on the Black Sea, where he found a great city in anarchy. Bands of young men commandeering streetcars and clattered wildly through the heart of Odessa, firing with rifles at any pedestrian as though they were hunting pigeons. Any moment one's apartment might be invaded by a casual criminal or fanatic, murdering for the sake of a loaf of bread. And in this anarchy, justice and freedom were only words. He said, then I learned that before we can know justice and freedom, we must have order. And he said, much though I hated the communists, I saw then that even the grim order of communism is better than no order at all. Many might survive under communism. No one could survive in general disorder. So that's his story. So it, it's we can't survive when things start falling apart to that extent. But it is absolute fodder to for the power hungry people to come in and say, "I will make, I will make uh, order out of this chaos," and then we have, then we have the choice of: Are we going to have them create a system that forces us out of the chaos, or are we going to have somehow make choices ourselves that then take us? as a society out of the chaos without a hoarding over centralized government to do it for us. Now, I'm I'm not trying to make this political, but as I look back over the last three years, particularly the summer of 2020 when the, uh, the riots started, um, that sure felt like there was a great deal of disorder that was, was being, in some cases, encouraged or at least um, excused, depending on, you know, what the ideology was of those engaging in that, that uh, riotous behavior. And, and I just have to wonder if there was a similar dynamic at, at play here. Let it get so chaotic that people beg, please, somebody, you know, come in and save us, somebody restore order. It'd be the perfect time for the guy on horseback to come riding in, okay, here, here I am with my iron fist, you know, to, well, to put things right. Yes, and historically we've seen we've seen that happen uh, when people suffer enough, and so this is so this is part of the. You say you don't want to get political, but we can look at this how this has happened historically, where when things are in a crisis, then more centralized order is created in a governmental system. Look at what happened in World War II. We were in a crisis economically. We were in a crisis in terms of, of fear of the outside. And so we were in, in the 1930s, a complete fear reaction. And that fear reaction was answered by the government in the form of the statement, we know that you're afraid. We will take care of you. We, we will see that nothing happens to you that's bad. And we will defend ourselves. And so that centralized the power and everybody was everybody was so frightened and so worried that it was easy for them to to give that central power that much power to try to get rid of the feelings of insecurity and chaos and and that they were feeling during that time so let's talk about uh, forced order versus 
chosen order. Maybe there's a different way to say that. Uh, when, when people are capable of, of putting things in order themselves. Now, to some people, that may sound like, are you describing vigilantes or are we talking about people just being responsible? Um, case in point, somebody drives by a fire hydrant that's leaking. Most people would be like, oh, that shouldn't be happening. But they, you know, I don't have authority to do that. They'd call the city or something like that. That's somebody else's job. But a farmer drives by, sees a fire hydrant leaking, stops his truck, gets a wrench, fixes the leak, and then goes on his way. He's, he's creating order or he's choosing to, to introduce order um, without waiting for permission. So let, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, is there a best kind of order or do, does all order kind of need some sort of authority structure in order to work? Well, there's no question that we do give, as soon as we enter into a social compact with other people, we do give uh, other people certain kinds of authority. But it, but when you ask the question about order, we have forced order versus voluntary order. And so what what we're looking to do is to create a situation where we in ourselves are mostly in control of the discipline and the structure of our lives. We are the one that's in control. And in our previous, in our previous uh, interviews, we've talked about internal versus external locus of control, which is a psychological term, meaning that are you in control from within yourself of the decisions you make and the kinds of things you want, or are you have to have it forced upon you from the outside? So it's preferable that we have as much latitude as possible, which I find so fascinating in light of the early statements of the founders of the United States of America when they said there can be no democracy, there can be no successful republic in the ultimate sense without virtue, without without something central that that ma- helps us to manage our behavior so that we have limits on ourselves and, and of course we, we control ourselves like Pythagoras said or or we limit our desires we put them in a proper kind of application like John Stuart Mill said so it's it's definitely preferable that we not have to be ordered around in order to get a sense of the things that work for us and the things that we can count on in ourselves. Okay, we're down to a couple of minutes here, but John, for if someone listening is feeling that uh, that there are parts of their life or there maybe there's some identifiable thing, identifiable thing where they feel like I've got to bring my life back in order. What's a good starting point? The starting point for bringing your life in order is to work very hard on realizing your own personal power and recognizing those things which you have the freedom to do unless someone is telling you you can't do it. And then you have to decide, are you going to put a boundary up against someone saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't think that. No, you can't make that decision. You must embrace your own personal power. You've got to figure out what it is you want to be experiencing. Set that in as much place inside of yourself. Get get yourself ordered in relationship to that. And then surround yourself with those who can help you 
to achieve everything that you want in your life rather than being subject to a chaotic external thing that might be operating against you. But it sounds like some personal responsibility is going to have to be at the forefront here. In other words, you really can't just wait for someone to come up and say, okay, Brian, here I am to save you. You got to make that decision yourself if, if you really sincerely want to move that direction. We have to learn to think, Brian. There's no question. We have got to think. We've got to solve our own problems. And, and we've got to, to be responsible citizens by setting an order our own lives according to as many principles that create a, a healthy interaction with other people and a conscience that is free of regret within ourselves. All right. We've been talking with Dr. John C. Pulver. You'll find a link to his website in today's show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right. Welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to my sponsors, including Climbing Upward, Com. That would be uh, John Pulver, who we just had on the program. Also, TMCPNation.com. That would be my friend John Harvey, host of the Modern Conservative Podcast. Also, LifesavingFood.com and MonticelloCollege.org. All right. I don't know if you saw this story. This was out of Wisconsin, and it was just uh, fairly recently. But, you know, conscience is a very highly personal thing. And I'm not going to suggest that everybody should do exactly what takes place in this story. But... Not everybody's willing to stand up and be counted when there's a chance that you could be punished for doing so. Case in point, did you see the video of the Wisconsin teen who was arrested for reading Bible verses outside an all-ages drag show? It's really interesting. I mean, he was on the sidewalk. He was arrested for reading the Bible. Now, he did have a little portable speaker with him, totally within his rights, though. And uh, I'm telling you, it's it's really something. Police officers in Watertown, Wisconsin, were caught on video yanking the microphone out of the kid's hands, walking him away in handcuffs. Marcus Schroeder is 19, and apparently he's a student at the Institute of Theology in Cape Coral, Florida. And he told American Greatness in a telephone interview that police gave him no warning before they came in and cracked down on him and his friends. He said he was taken to the police station where they cited him for unlawful use of sound amplification and resisting arrest. Now, he was fined almost $200 for the sound amplification charge. By the way, cars driving by, you know, when you hear the boom, 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 that's sound amplification too. But, you know, hey, they weren't Bible verses, so I guess, you know, they they let those go. But um, anyway, the resisting arrest charge was another $500. Now, he told American Greatness he intends to fight those charges in court and have some. Uh, he has some good law firms that have already stepped up and offered to help him. Two other young people with him, Nick Prowell and Margaret Trujella, also were briefly detained and then released without, with a warning, rather. So this drag event was apparently part of the uh, small-town second annual Pride in the Park. And I've seen this play out, you know, in, in my home state of Idaho. It's it's kind of a common thing, but this this is... I don't know. This gives me a really uneasy feeling. And then I say this with the understanding. Not everybody is cut out to go and read Bible verses, you know, and to to basically stand up and say, I'm not okay with this all-ages drag show taking place in my community. I think most people are kind of afraid. They don't want to seem radical, man. You know, I don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm a hater or, you know, a bigot or anything. But 
You know, these boys are members of a church called Mercy Seat Christian Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And apparently they were among more than 200 individuals from various groups that showed up to protest the city-sanctioned drag show. Now, this is an event that featured transvestites strutting around provocatively in front of kids. The Wisconsin chapter of Gays Against Groomers was actually among the groups who were protesting the event. And the group posted a video on uh, of, of one individual, of uh, this, this person wearing a very skimpy outfit in front of the kids. And they say, why dress like this, knowing that the audience will be children? By the way, there is a link in the article that I'm uh, pulling this from, which you can find in today's show notes at the Brian Hyde Show. Now, interestingly enough, there was also a group of provocateurs dressed up like Nazis and carrying cartoonish swastika flags who also attended the protest. You can guess what local media was focusing on. Well, look at this. It brings out all the Nazis to protest this family-friendly event. I mean, even Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers uh, issued a very overwrought statement saying the presence of these Nazis was a disgusting and direct attack on our state's LGBTQ community, communities of color, and Jewish Wisconsinites. He goes on. LGBTQ Wisconsinites deserve to be treated with dignity, decency, kindness, and respect, just like every other Wisconsinite. Who's out there twerking in front of kids, Governor? Okay, no, anyway, please continue. They deserve to be safe, being who they are without fear or threat of shame, harassment, intimidation, or violence. Now, when the kid who was arrested was asked, do you you think these Nazis were real or were they just left-wing provocateurs? I like the answer that he gave, because he says, okay, I think they were probably provocateurs, and here's why. There's no other reason they'd show up for just 20 minutes and then leave as soon as they got their uh, media attention. That's a good point. I mean, if you if they just want to get there, get it on camera. All right, we're done. We're good. Schroeder says the incident only encouraged him and his Christian comrades to continue their mission with further boldness. Now, of course, there's a whole guilt by association game that goes along with that. Well, you know, of course, the only people who would be interested in shutting down or at least protesting or standing against events like this by association must be the Nazis. And the fact that the cops perk marched, perp marched to this guy, you know, off in handcuffs, but didn't uh, arrest the Nazis. I mean, you know, I don't know, man. It, it just sends a really interesting mixed message. And this is not the first time we've seen this. I believe it was uh, police in Ohio did a very similar thing to a street preacher who wasn't even, I don't think that guy was even using amplified sound to spread his message. He was just simply present. Had some signs, but just present. Public place, public sidewalk. And when he wouldn't leave the second they told him to, which, you know, he has a right not to leave. It's a protected First Amendment speech kind of thing, free speech kind of thing. I mean, they they put him in cuffs. Now, this young man, Schroeder, says it was worth it. He says it's actually an honor to be counted worthy to stand with the cloud of witnesses who've gone before us and been arrested for the sake of spreading Christ in his kingdom. If the police wanted to try and set an example for others or anything like that, he says, the only thing I've seen is actually the exact opposite, where more and more people are seeing the severity of what's going on and are being called to more action. In fact, he told the Sentinel he did not, uh, he did not regret his detainment, saying, I would do it all over again if it gives me an opportunity to share the good news and rescue innocent children being sexualized by their parents. He says, God will use it for good, We will stand for truth even if we stand alone. 
Now, apparently there were several dozen police officers uh, reportedly on the scene to protect the transvestites, even though Wisconsin law forbids individuals from causing a minor to view or listen to sexually explicit conduct. So apparently the transvestites were seen dancing and gyrating in front of little children who were invited to give them $1 bills. Now, I don't know. That, I'm, look, I'm not saying you're not a good person if you're not out there getting arrested like this, this kid. And of course, uh, the, the police there haven't really said anything. Watertown police haven't uh, released any kind of a public statement regarding the arrest. But is this really what we're coming to? Because it sure seems like we're on that slippery slope of, well, it's hate speech or it's being treated like hate speech or is it a crime to dissent? Because if that's the case, then I don't know. It sounds a lot like maybe we have found a new religion, a state religion. And it's masquerading as, oh, we're neutral. Why, this is just, you know, secular humanist atheism at work here. No, I don't know. It, it, sounds, it sounds a lot like... It's an actual religion. There, there's dogma. There's proselytizing. It's very jealous. Zealous wouldn't be too strong a word. But there's a deeper issue, too. And I guess this is where I really would, would like you to just ponder for a moment. What would it take for you to be willing to risk your good name, your rep- reputation, your standing in the community, in order to, to stand up and say, I can't go along with this. I get it. Not everyone is cut out for that kind of activism. I think back to uh, a few years ago, well, three years ago to be exact, my friend Eric Mutsos had invited me to, uh, to come to a, a rally at the Salt Lake City County building. This would have been, oh, I'm going to say probably mid-May of 2020. Okay, this is when lockdowns were still very much in effect and you know, mask mandates and everything. And Eric asked me, hey, are you going to come? We're going to have a rally for opening up the businesses. And he says, uh, you know, I'd love to see you there. And I was like, heck yeah, man, I can support that. And the question he asked me next is, are you prepared to be arrested? And I got to tell you, I had to stop. That one was like, oh, wow, okay, I got to think for a minute here. In fact, I probably not only need to think about this for a minute, but I need to I need to consult with my wife and say, honey, are you going to be okay if I call you and say, I need bail money because I've been arrested? Because there was that kind of stuff going on throughout the nation. Now, fortunately, it never came down to that, uh, you know, but, but it does raise the question, at what point would you be willing to risk being put in handcuffs? You know, these kids' behavior was peaceful. They weren't out there calling people names. They weren't, they weren't you know, taking the Westboro Baptist Church approach of, you know, trying to, to denigrate people. But it was so interesting to see the police come right after them. And I mean, and it wasn't even a matter of I'm a peace officer and I'm just trying to keep the peace here. Let's, uh, let's go over here and talk. Let's, uh, you know, reason about this. Nope. I mean, the cop just walked up, grabbed the mic, wrestled it out of his hand, and, uh, and then put him in cuffs. It kind of makes you wonder, what was, what was going through that police officer's head? What, what exactly had he been told that would make him respond like that? See, I'm not trying to read that officer's individual ideology into it so much as, were they told this is a threat? Were they told to make sure we shut down any of these uh, protests because they might be provocative and somebody's feelings might get hurt? I don't know. But I don't like the direction it's going. 
And I think we're rapidly approaching the point where, uh, you know, if you haven't been arrested for standing up for what's right, maybe you're not that serious about what's right in the first place. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm kind of keeping myself on a short leash today. I love the conversation I had with uh, Dr. John Pulver in starting out the show, but I'm also, I'm just concerned enough that I, that I, I worry I'm right there on the, the threshold of a rant. And I really don't like to rant because I feel like that just, that's throwing red meat. That's okay. Let's get people agitated. Let's get them concerned. And I'd really much rather be more of a problem solver than simply a problem pointer outer. I guess I hope I'm not alone in in feeling this, but this week has a really weird vibe to it. I don't even know how to put it into to, to how to quantify that to make it easily understandable. But I had this sense, and it's just a gut sense, so I could be wrong. This could you know be that I had the wrong thing for dinner last night, but. I have this sense that we have, have turned or in the, are in the process of turning a corner. And that to once that corner is fully turned, things could uh, shift rapidly. I'm sorry, that sounds so ominous, but there's, there's something very unsettling that, that's taking place. And I think it takes a lot of willful blindness to not see how the ruling class is refusing to abide by the proper limits on their power. Got a great article here from J.B. Shirk. The elites cannot hide from the consequences of their actions. I want to share a couple of excerpts from this because I think this is just marvelous stuff. J.B. Shirk says, In classical Greek mythology, hubris is a fatal flaw that inevitably leads to tragedy. No matter how admired the hero, any mortal who dares behave like a god is punished in the end. But he says, Mankind never seems to learn this lesson. The elites of every generation delude themselves into believing that they are superhuman and inherently different from those they consider beneath them. They're not. And whatever afflicts ordinary people will eventually come for those who build extravagant sanctuaries intended to rival Mount Olympus. No elite ideology has caused as much suffering as communism for a simple reason. It's a false doctrine that feeds on hubris. Communism begins where atheism begins, Marx wrote. It permits elites to deify themselves. And because of that delusion, it remains a specter that still haunts the world. Now, wherever Marxism has reared its ugly head, it ultimately brings death and desolation. Wherever communist elites believe they can rule over a land of peasants while remaining safe and secure behind castle walls, Those barriers eventually prove as fragile as any Potemkin village constructed from empty promises and outright lies. No matter how many hundreds of millions of lives socialism and communism have destroyed, Western elites remain enamored of Marxism. Any system that eliminates private property for all but the aristocratic few and cultivates a slavish devotion to the state is attractive to arrogant human beings who believe it's their birthright to control others. Now, he says the specter of communism haunting the world today comes in the form of the World Economic Forum's Great Reset or the United Nations' planned technocratic tyranny. It exists wherever one group of experts believes it has the moral prerogative to tell everyone else how to live and what to do. 
Vladimir Lenin argued that both medicine is the keystone of the arch of socialism and that the establishment of a central bank is 90% of communizing a nation. Did you realize he'd said that? Together, central banks and global health authorities are the gateway drugs for communism. The party will take care of all your needs. The World Health Organization will decide whether you can leave your homes. The climate scientists will tell you how much food you may eat and how much fuel you may use to stay warm. In every iteration of Marxist hubris, the promise is always framed a little differently. However, it's formulated, though, it always brings tragedy. Marxist socialism, communism, planned sustainability, new world order, global government, whatever it's called, it remains rule by the elite. Any system that refuses to protect individual freedoms and empowers a small coalition of authorities to control everyone else should simply be called elitism. And the distinction between political parties becomes meaningless when the elites learn, as Lenin did, that the best way to control the opposition is to lead it. Forget Republicans versus Democrats. The real contest is between regular people and the privilege-hoarding elites who maintain a stranglehold over the government. Now, this kind of thinking, he points out, is, is denigrated as dangerous populism. How dare the great majority of people form opinions that reject the preferences of the ruling class? Is it not strange that Western elites speak fondly about the virtues of democracy only when the people under their thumb do exactly what they say? Not really. J.B. Shirk says the democratic revolution is, being, is the necessary preparation for the socialist revolution. That's what Mao Zedong taught. And the socialist revolution is the inevitable sequel to the democratic revolution. The ultimate aim for which all communists strive is to bring about a socialist and communist society. Again, he's quoting Chairman Mao. In other words, tyranny is most effective when the citizens actually vote for their chains. When the people think for themselves and reject the elitism that requires their submission, the state dispels any pretense of caring about what the people think. Now, I'm going to stop here because <clears throat> this, is, this is where we could go off in, in a number of directions. And I'm not trying to, to stump for Donald Trump or tell you, this is the only man who can save this country. But how could it not be more clear that the folks who are in power and the deep state, which operates regardless of which party is in power, are doing everything possible, short of actually killing Donald J. Trump, to prevent him from running for president. I mean, we used to laugh at this kind of stuff and say, that's what you expect from a banana republic. But guess what? We are becoming that banana republic. That's why I have that uneasy feeling that I, I really do believe we may have crossed, we, the, the political class, may have crossed the Rubicon. And I don't know where that leads. My biological dad actually sent me an article yesterday uh, from a friend of his who I believe worked for, for the CIA. It, his friend didn't write it. His friend had just forwarded it to him. And this article definitely has, has a left-wing feel to it, but it, it says that uh, there, there's a civil war brewing and it's Donald Trump's fault. Now, I agree with the first part. It does feel like, you know, we are being lined up for civil war type division. There's an 1861 kind of vibe that uh, seems to permeate the country right now. I don't believe that it's Donald Trump's fault. I believe it's the fault of the people who are trying to, uh, you know, 
defenestrate him as quickly as possible from the, the body politic. Throw him out the window. Get him out of here. Pretty intense stuff. Again, I'm going to save my outrage. I'd rather be more focused on solutions, but I think those are going to start uh, close to home, building community, mending fences with family, making sure you are able to provide for yourself and those you love as much as possible. The more dependent you are on the systems, whether it be your local government, state government, federal government, the more easily you are going to be controlled or manipulated. All right, I got to shift gears. I have just a short amount of time here, but I want to point you to the article of the day. This was authored by Rob Smith via Real Clear Markets. The global warming hoax is a rerun of a plot as old as mankind. I don't know if you've noticed this, but lately the mainstream and very liberal news media has been telling us we're experiencing record high temperatures and they actually have started issuing, uh, you know, you should stay inside. I mean, it's, it's very reminiscent of the, uh, you know, please shelter in place kind of uh, vibe that, that we were getting early on with COVID. What a crazy time. Is this the new lockdowns? Are we seeing the beginning of, uh, of you know, conditioning us? Well, we had, to, we had to shut everything down. After all, there's a heat emergency. It's August, you know. I think the advice in this article which includes things like don't believe anything you read or any video you watch. Pay attention to the lessons of history that can teach you whatever you need to know about economics, politics, sociology, philosophy, and the nature of man. Especially watch how people try to seize power through using fear to manipulate the populace. Don't be bedazzled by fancy titles and those who cling to the title of expert. Pay attention to how many times the pundits have been wrong. And if they didn't correct themselves, if they didn't actually give a mea culpa and try to set the record straight, but instead doubled down on their wrongness, why would you trust them? Keep in mind that pundits and news personalities are often salesmen. So treat them the way you would a door-to-door salesman. That guy standing there trying to sell you a vacuum at your door... He's trying to sell you something. So are the people who are trying to sell you the idea that the earth is is burning up and it's probably best if you stop driving and if you just stay inside and listen to us and, oh, by the way, uh, turn your thermostat up to 80 or 85. It's the responsible thing to do. Oh, and could you eat bugs while you're at it? Yeah, I'm going to have to say no, dog. (laughs) No thanks on all of those counts. I'd give him some sign language, but, you know, I don't want to be rude. This is The Brian Hyde Show.